This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. I'm Matthew of castingacross.com, where I explore the quarry and culture of fly fishing. And this is the Fall Allergy Edition of the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. Over the last month or so, I've been really trying to dial in the audio on the podcast. And uh, this time, I can't blame my microphone. I can't blame my software. I can't blame the room I'm in. It's my own voice. I have become the lowest common denominator. But thanks for bearing with me over these next 15 or 20 minutes. Speaking of lowest common denominators, I think that the least integral part of the terminal tackle for the majority of trout fishers is the reel. We usually say rod, reel, and line. But the reality is is that your rod and your line play a much more important role in your presentation and in your catching of fish more often than not than your reel does. Not to say the reel doesn't matter, it's just that the line probably ought to be bumped up in the priority list. It should be rod, line, and reel. Then than people give it credit for. And I've talked about the importance of line in other podcasts as well as other articles on casting across. And so I'd encourage you to check those out to kind of get my justifications. But why am I hating on reels? Why am I devaluing reels? Why am I taking this important and beautiful part of fly fishing and fly fishing aesthetics and fly fishing history and kind of throwing it aside? Well, for one, I'm trying to save you money. For two, I'm trying to make you a better fly angler, especially when you have a fish on. Let me explain myself. For a lot of fly fishing situations, the reel is very, very important. In the salt, you need a reel. Most of the fish that you're catching are going to go on blazing runs. The same can be said of salmon and steelhead and freshwater, large carp, other fish like that. Your reel is going to matter because you're going to need to lean into the drag, the high quality disc drag of a reel that can accommodate such things in order to successfully, on a continual basis, with some consistency, 
fight fish that are going to be pulling lots of line off and doing so with a lot of aggression and a lot of speed. Additionally, you want a reel that can accommodate a certain kind of retrieve. You want something that's going to handle a lot of line and it's going to be able to do so and still be very lightweight so that your arm is not going to be beat after casting an 8, 9, 10 weight all day long. You don't want a pound of metal at the bottom of your rod. These things matter. And so there are plenty of circumstances where spending a lot of money, $500, $700, $900 on a reel is probably a pretty good investment if you are yourself invested in that kind of fly fishing. But for the majority of trout fishing, that's just not necessary. Now, we're not talking like sliding down that slippery slope into Tenkara where a reel isn't necessary. And I have nothing against Tenkara personally, but I don't think that a reel is simply a mechanism for storing line. Reels have value. Reels have purpose. You ought to have a good reel. You just don't necessarily need the best reel for most trout fishing situations that you're going to encounter. So first of all, what am I talking about when I'm talking about an expensive trout reel? Now, expensive is in the eye of the beholder's wallet, I suppose. I would say a trout reel starts to get pricey once it gets over 200 bucks. You might say, what a cheapskate, that's awful. Well, I've got some quote-unquote expensive trout reels, and I like them, and I use them, and I appreciate them. But are they necessary? Are they overkill? When was the last time I tangled with a 14 or 16-inch fish that I thought, oh man, I really wish I had a larger uh, sealed conical drag with latest and greatest technology that can be put in reels that was developed for the space shuttle or something like that. Or realistically, with all the 20-inch fish that I've caught recently, how many times have I thought, I wish I had a $700 reel. It would have made the situation much better. I, I can't think of a whole lot. And that's not to say that I catch a ton of big fish or that I don't catch a ton of big fish. I just don't think the reel is as important in those situations. So, what do you look for when you look for a reel, a, a, a reasonable reel, not a budget reel, but a reasonable reel? I think you're looking for those reels in the 100 to $200 price range. And what are you looking for? Well, first of all is the drag. Now those click or tension-based reels are fine. I think those are great reels, especially for trout anglers, because it does force you to fight the fish a little bit better. It forces you to learn how to uh, think about when a fish runs and how a fish runs by palming the reel. And that's a that's a technique that we don't talk about much anymore. With a, a time when disc drag reels have become ubiquitous, they're all over the place. Even the most budget-friendly reels are disc drag. It's actually become more novel to find those click reels. And hold on, let me, let me insert here. What is the difference between a click reel or a, a click and pull reel and a drag reel. Well, the click reels are reels that use simply a little bit of tension. It could be a spring, it could be a little aluminum flap or something like that that causes there to not be an instantaneous backward spinning of your reel. So your reel will spin the way you turn it, but then it won't on its own just start free spooling backwards. And that little bit of tension causing mechanism is going to do that. So it's not going to cause your line to slow down in any way as it comes out, except it's not going to just let it free spool backwards. Disc drags, on the other hand, are variable, and they use different technologies, everything from gears to uh, disc pads that 
will slow down the spinning of the reel as the line goes out because it applies tension to different parts, sometimes the inside of the frame, sometimes the inside of the innermost spool of the reel, and that's giving you options for how much pressure it takes for a line to come out. There's much more eloquent explanations, and you know this is really helpful to see diagrams of too, so I'd encourage you to Google it. Um, you can even look at real reviews, and they'll show you kind of some of the different examples of different types of disc drags. But all that to say, having a click tension-based reel is a great way to learn how to be a better fish fighter. You don't depend on your reel. I've seen that so many times. I'm sure I've been guilty of it too, where somebody hooks in with a big fish, you know, an 18, 20 inch trout on a big river. And all they do is they lean back into it, hold that rod up high, dial their drag so that the fish is pulling out line at a pretty good pace, but not enough to spool them, you know, get them down to their backing or whatever. And they just wait for the fish to get tired. Well, even if you keep that fish wet, even if the, you, you use hemostats and you have barbless hooks and everything is just hunky-dory from that perspective, you're overplaying that fish. You're not fighting it. You're letting your reel fight it. So sometimes a really high-quality reel with a really good disc drag can be a crutch for you learning how to fight a fish. I know I've done it before. It's fun to watch a fish run, but if you're not playing that fish by applying lateral pressure and moving his head into the current and making him fight and responding with your rod and with your reeling with what that fish is doing in order to get it to net faster. You're not necessarily tiring that fish out faster. You're getting it to the net faster so that you can release it and let it go on its merry way. And that is as important as keeping the fish wet or anything else that has become in vogue as of late. And using a click drag as long as you have proper palming technique, which again, palming is, imagine your, your rod's in your right hand and your reel is below your hand as it should be in, in any fly rod, and that fish is running. And so now you have the face of your reel is spinning in front of you because your spool is what spins. The frame of your reel is static. It is what the reel foot is on. It's attached to your rod, but that face of that spool is spinning. You would go from below it and you would apply pressure with your palm very gently and very slowly. And what you do, if you can do that correct, is you have a very, very smooth application of drag. And you are connected now to that fish with both hands. Your rod is in your right hand. You're sensing how that fish is moving. That rod is pulsating and it is moving around and you can kind of tell what that fish is doing. And now your left hand is feeling the kind of pressure that that fish is putting on your tippet leader and line by its running. And so now you are dialed into that fish is doing. In fact, sometimes I think that using a click and tension-based reel is better for thinking about how to fight a fish. You're much more in tune with it. Now that's not to say that people who use drag reels, disc drag reels, excuse me, don't do that because I use a lot of disc drag reels. I think 70% of my reels are disc drag. But when I use a click Paul reel and I have a big fish on, I'm really paying attention to what's going on. And I feel like I'm not leaning on my reel and I'm not thinking about, is my drag too tight? Is my drag too slow? And that's another another um, uh, thing to think about too, is that when you have a big fish on, it doesn't matter how big your drag knob is. If that thing is spinning around, are you really reaching up and around to adjust that drag? The times I've done that, I feel like I've really overdone it and I've caused my myself to get into trouble because I've either snapped my line because I've really t torqued and tightened that 
drag down too much as I've done that while I'm playing a fish. It's just, it doesn't feel like a really good thing to do. I know some people do it. I don't like doing it, but you don't have to do that if you're palming your reel. But what are you paying for or not paying for when you buy a reel? Well, when you buy a reel, you're buying first and foremost for materials. A lot of your low-end reels, and there's some good ones, low-end doesn't necessarily mean crummy, it means inexpensive. And there's some low-end reels that are really, really good, but they are cast. That is to say they're made in a mold, and they're metal, and they are sturdy, they're very lightweight. And because they are made in a mold, you can have some really wild designs, the porting, that is to say the holes on the sides, which um, increase airflow. It's not the primary reason for porting, but it helps your line and your backing dry out, but also it decreases weight. You can have some really wild designs. So a lot of the reels that have the really funky designs, um, the real spindly looking um, spools and frames are going to be cast. The problem with those is a little bit of durability. Now, I have some cast reels that I've never had any problems with. I've had some that they bend, for lack of a better term. They don't just dent like a machined reel would. But if you're careful and cautious with your gear, it's a completely safe option, and they put in really beefy, solid drags inside of them. That's actually something that some reel manufacturers do. They take the same drag system they would put in a higher-end reel, and they just put it in a cast reel, and you're probably paying 60 or even 50% of what you would for that higher-end reel. As long as you take care of your stuff, I think what's even more important than the material that the reel is made out of is in its manufacturing, what are the tolerances of that reel? So that is to say, where pieces are having to come together yet not touch, how close can they get to each other without touching? Well, why does this matter? If things touch, it's problematic because they're going to wear against each other and it's going to cause that to start to fall apart it's going to cause pieces to get sharp, it's going to cause uh, things to rub and make noise, and it doesn't matter what your drag is if your spool and your frame are touching each other needlessly. But more than that, what I've found with some lower quality reels, or reels that honestly I've not put the spool back on the reel the right way, is that you have a gap for your line to slip in between your spool and your frame. You've probably had this happen to you before, and it could be the reel's fault or it could be your own doing. This is most common, I feel like, when I'm stripping line to make a cast, and that line goes up against the point in which the frame and the spool come together, probably like 180 degrees from where the reel foot is, so that's to say kind of directly away from the rod, there's usually some sort of reinforcement that keeps the spool tight to the reel. But if that is not a tight tolerance, then line can slip right through there. I've had that happen on reels that are more expensive and reels that are less expensive. And the reels that are more expensive, again, I chalk that up to me not putting the spool back on properly. Um, but on less expensive reels, there's wobble. I've picked up reels in fly shops and you take the spool in your left hand and the the frame in your right hand and you kind of wiggle it back and forth and there's a little bit of movement. Now a little bit's okay. Again, you don't want this to be, to be so tight that it doesn't move um, and, and that the, the frame is rubbing against the spool because that's going to cause other problems. But you want the tolerances to be tight. So if you can find an inexpensive reel that has that and plenty of them do, then that's what separates a good $150 reel from probably an inferior $150 reel. There's other small things to consider. Um, 
the handle, some handles are crummy. And if you're only spending $100 to $150 on a reel, you might not necessarily want to buy that reel just to go out and spend another $15 on getting a new handle and installing it yourself. You might want to just buy a reel with a good handle. I'm not a fan of those little nubby handles. I like the paddle style ones, especially for my maybe five and six weight reels. Even if they're not super high quality, I don't want my fingers slipping around on that thing as I'm trying to grab it, especially if I'm going from managing my line with my left hand to grabbing my reel real quickly with my left hand. And I would say the last thing to consider is aesthetics. Now, looks don't matter, but they do. You have brightly colored reels. You have reels with really wild porting designs. And again, you're going to get some really cool designs even in those cast reels, but you're going to have all sorts of colors and all sorts of things to choose from. Your options are going to be more limited as you go down. There's a couple of companies that you know pump out an infinite number of designs in the $500, $600, $700 range, but sometimes you're paying literally $100 to $200 simply for the design. The same reel in black or gunmetal or gray is about 20% cheaper. So if that's your priority, then go for it. Some people like pretty cars. Some people like pretty fly reels. Personally, I like the more traditional reels, but I wouldn't scoff at you know a neon orange reel. And again, all of these things relate to the majority of trout fishing. If you're constantly hooking into 20 plus inch fish, you want a good disc drag. If you're constantly hooking into powerful 16 inch fish on a big river, you're going on a really good disc drag. If you're fishing for salmon, for steelhead, for carp, for big, powerful smallmouth, if you're in the salt, you're going to want a reel that can not just handle the fish, the startup inertia of that fish taking that, the line going tight. You want that reel and that drag to be able to accommodate that so there's not this jerking motion where it's going to resonate down to the weak point of your tippet or your leader or your line. You're also going to want components that can handle salt and debris and sand and all of those things. So there are plenty of circumstances, plenty of situations that justify a expensive reel, a really nice reel, a premium reel. But for most of us, for our trout fishing, for most of the fish we get into, we're okay with a lower end reel. And again, saving that money and putting it into line because that's going to impact your casting. Your reel has virtually no bearing on your casting. And you still have a solid reel that'll accommodate most of the fish that you catch. And if you do go the click route, then you are putting yourself in a situation where you're gonna to have to be very conscientious about how you fight your fish, which is probably better for fish fighting and certainly better for the fish. Do you have a favorite inexpensive reel? Please let me know. My favorite inexpensive reel was the generation of Orvis Batten Kills that was out in the 90s and early 2000s. Awesome reel, both click and disc, but a really interesting disc system that used some gears. Um, really cool reels, rock solid. The ones that I have are going on 20 years old and they're still performing great. They're really traditional looking, um, cool little medallion with the old Orvis logo on the side. I love them to death, but I've bought plenty of inexpensive reels since that time that I also like. But I'd love to hear what your favorite reel in that $100 to $200 range is, especially for trout fishing or for warm water fishing as well. This week I'm casting across two articles. The first one is called Four Years and a Microphone and Two Fly Fishers. So another podcast has wrapped up their time on the virtual airwaves, and that is Two Guys in a River. I've talked about Two Guys in a River quite a bit uh, because I 
like the guys. I've had a chance to hang out with them, to record a couple of episodes with them, and they are setting their podcast and their website aside to focus on other things, and that's fantastic. They have developed a great following, and what I've always said about Two Guys in River is that they relate to an everyday fly fisher. They are not concerned with the industry. They're not concerned with the latest and greatest. They're concerned with enjoying the time on the river and catching more fish. And so they're keeping the archives live. So definitely check them out. Still subscribe. You're not going to be getting any new content unless they do some sort of Eagles style revival and put out a new episode, you know, intermittently over the next few years. But they're going to keep the archive up so you're able to go and listen. I would encourage you to do so. They're great guys that have a humble and refreshing perspective on fly fishing and eating while you fly fish. My other article this week is called The Sunfish Superiority. It is a list of reasons why sunfish are the better fish to fly fish for. So I'd ask you to check that out. This week's recommendation on the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast is the Reddington Behemoth. Now, the Reddington Behemoth falls into the category of quality, inexpensive reels that actually outperform their price tag. The behemoth ranges in about 120 to 140 and comes in everything from a reel that'll handle a four weight all the way to one that will handle a 12 weight. I don't have any experience with those high level reels, but the lower end reels are great. Very solid. They have an over-engineered drag that's going to stop anything that you can think of. It is more than enough drag for virtually every fishing situation you're going to find yourself in. And the reels look really cool. They come in a handful of colors. They're very lightweight. And I think that they're probably one of the best in class as far as die-cast reels go. So Reddington Behemoth, there'll be a link in the show notes for this podcast on castingacross.com to check them out. Thanks for listening to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. Please subscribe in your favorite podcast app and rate the podcast in iTunes. Then head over to castingacross.com where you'll find more info on this podcast and three posts a week on the people, places, and things that go into the pursuit of fish.